0: Two frightening tales. I'm Justin, president of the Kegul Horror Club and investigator for Burgers. I'm joined by the man of the 12th degree black belt in piu and the master of flames, Tommy. Pew-Pew. Tonight we're burning down the house. That's right, it's all about the flamethrower. The best weapon ever used in a horror movie. So I'm going to tell you the top 10 flamethrower scenes in horror movies. We'll also unveil the flamethrower awards. And Tommy will teach us how to use a flamethrower. But before that, I have to tell you about the movie Cocaine Bear. Now when the title of your movie is Cocaine Bear, there's certain expectations that are not going to be met. Like cinematic masterpiece or we're going to have some great actors in this. And a lot of people are going to be, I don't really want to go see that. It sounds stupid. But when the trailer dropped last year, I thought the same thing. Then I watched the trailer, and then I moved, quickly moved into the I can't wait to see category. So it the movie has now been released, and I went and saw it, and I was pleasantly surprised. I went in with lower expectations, and I left pleasantly pleased. It was funny. It was campy. It had just enough cheese to be really good, and we had some really strong performances from Ray Liotta and Carrie Russell. Now, how do you get people to come in to see a movie called Cocaine Bear? Well, you throw out that it's based on true events. I know what you're saying. There was a bear that ate cocaine and went on a bloody rampage? No, it didn't go on a bloody rampage, but there is a bear that ate cocaine, which is the whole inspiration for this movie. So, let's take a quick look at the true Cocaine Bear. To tell us this story, we're going to jump over to the New York Times. Miss Amanda Holpinch has the details. In December of 1985, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation announced that a 175-pound black bear had died of an overdose of cocaine after discovering a batch of the drug. It was, of course, a three-sentenced United Press International story that read, A 175-pound black bear apparently died of an overdose of cocaine after discovering a batch of drug. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation said today the cocaine was apparently dropped from a plane piloted by Andrew Thornton, a convicted drug smuggler who died September 11th in Knoxville, Tennessee, because he was carrying too heavy a load while parachuting. Now, the scene with Thornton is the opening scene of the movie. You see Thornton just kicking out bags of cocaine as some alarm is going off on his plane. Of course, the director, Elizabeth Banks, added a little comical humor to it. Instead of just jumping out with too heavy a load, Thornton hits his head on his plane on the way out and plummets to his death. Now, Banks does keep Knoxville, Tennessee, and the Georgia Forest in the movie. I mean, this location doesn't change for this. Let's get back to the story of Cocaine Bear. The cocaine was apparently dropped from a plane piloted by Andrew Thornton. The Bureau said the bear was found Friday in northern Georgia among 40 open plastic containers with traces of cocaine. Now, when you're watching the movie, you can just see this bear absolutely loves cocaine because cocaine... Cocaine is a hell of a drug. The first people to see the bear are some hikers. And they're like, oh, look, a cute bear. Let's take a picture of him. And the the guy with the camera starts... He zooms in, and he sees the bear is just acting all demented. Banging its head on the tree and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. So the photographer is like, I think we need to get out of here, honey. And the girl, his girlfriend is like, no, no, no. It's just a harmless black bear. You know what they say. If it's a black bear, you need to stand up and fight. If it's a grizzly bear, you need to run. And we're like, okay, we'll do that. Well, they didn't know this bear was hyped up on cocaine. Because... Cocaine is a hell of a drug. And he promptly eats the girlfriend. The fate of the guy photographer is not determined until much later in the movie. Let's just put it this way. Aside from four or five characters, everybody is just bear food. So let's go back into the story. The bear was found dead in the mountains of Fannin County, Georgia, just south of the Tennessee border. According to Gary Garner of the GBI, there's nothing left but bones and big hide. Dr. Kenneth Alonzo, the state's chief medical examiner at the time, said after an autopsy, the bear had absorbed three or four grams of cocaine into its bloodstream, although it may have eaten more. Today, the very same bear is said to be on display in Lexington, Kentucky, at the Kentucky for Kentucky Fun Mall. The mall said in an August 2015 blog post, The workers wanted to know what happened to the bear and found out it had been stuffed. The blog post says the stuffed bear was at one point owned by country singer Waylon Jennings, who kept it in his home in Las Vegas before it was delivered to the store. The New York Times said they could not independently confirm this account. Now what happened to the bear in its final days or hours after the cocaine binge is a mystery. The one thing we didn't know, he did not go on a bloody rage like in the movie. Let's get back to the movie. Let's talk about that bloody rage. As I said, many people are just bear food and they're there just for that scene i mean i could understand i would love to see that discussion for the script sitting around a table all right your food your food you're safe your food your food you food you're safe and there's plenty of people to eat in this movie in fact there's a uh, tackleberry wannabe park ranger who's trying to lure uh, um, who's trying to woo a bear expert which just happens to be one of the fathers from Modern Family. Of course, his bear expertness can't uh, deal with cocaine bear. Why? Cocaine is a hell of a drug. It's evident in one scene: the the little boy in the movie is up in a tree, and they're trying to get him out. And he's like, "Oh no, I'm not coming down, not one bit." And uh, the bear expert, well, why are you in a tree? Well, it's a bear. You're supposed to climb a tree you can get away from him. That sort of goes. No, bears can climb. Well. The bear shows up, takes a chunk out of the park ranger's behind, and then kind of drags her off, grabs a hold of the bear expert, bear expert gets away, he climbs a tree, and the little boy's looking at him like, what? What are you doing? And then the bear emerges from the bushes and starts to climb the tree of the little boy. Well, as he almost gets the little boy's foot, the wind shifts direction, and the poor park Martin, the poor bear expert is covered in cocaine because throughout the whole uh, tussle with the bear, he gets, he finds the cocaine stash and he's covered in it. Well, as the wind shifts direction, it hits the bear's nose. The bear immediately bolts down the tree, shoots across the gap between the two. I mean, it just runs right across, climbs at the tree and eats the bear expert. I mean, as soon as this bear, and you'll see this throughout the movie. Once that bear smells cocaine, that's it, you're done. Like there's a scene where the bear is laying on top of one of the uh survivors, and she's just passed out. Well, she gets one whiff of cocaine, and she is back up and chasing whoever has it. So let's get back to our New York Times story. We're gonna start off with where a little bit more about Mr. Thornton. Mr. Thornton was a known drug smuggler and a former police officer. He was found dead the morning of September eleventh, nineteen eighty five. In the backyard of a house in Knoxville, Tennessee, which the movie starts off that way. Well, I wouldn't say it starts off that way. It opens up with a scene of the "Your Brain on Drugs" commercial, and then gives you a little Wikipedia quote about saving, you know, about standing up to a black bear. Now we all know we don't trust Wikipedia, and uh, that's what makes that's how you know this was just going to be a funny movie. He was wearing a parachute and Gucci loafers. Could you imagine being a drug smuggler and? You're crashing and you gotta jump out, or you gotta bail while wearing your Gucci loafers. He also had several weapons and a bag containing about 35 kilograms of cocaine. That was according to the Knoxville News Sentinel. A key in Mr. Thornton's pocket matched the tail number of a wrecked plane that was found in Clay County, North Carolina. Based on Mr. Thornton's history of drug smuggling, investigators guessed there was more cocaine nearby. The News Sentinel reported, Investigators searched the surrounding area and found more than 300 pounds of cocaine in a search that lasted several months. They also found the dead bear. Now, after reading this article, I think Elizabeth Banks might have missed a moment because you could have had more bear food added to this. Instead, what you have is the mother looking for her daughter and her daughter's friend. The mother is played by Carrie Russell. She had promised her daughter that they would go paint the waterfalls inside the state park. Of course, Carrie Russell canceled because uh, she took an extra shift at work and she wanted to go on a date because she's a single mother at this point. The daughter, who is a bit rebellious, decides, well, you know, me and my friend, we're just going to go ahead and do it anyway. We're going to skip school. Then you have the Tackleberry wannabe park ranger, which I call her Tackleberry because when she pulls out that 38 later on, everybody's shocked that she has a gun. Like, what park ranger carries a gun? She goes, well, I got teenage hoodlums always threatening and doing damage to my partner. which we'll learn later that she doesn't really know how to shoot that thing. So and the fact that it's not a big giant pistol, that's why she's a tackleberry wannabe, because if she was tackleberry, she wouldn't have missed and she would have had a bigger hand cannon. There's also two poor ambulance drivers or EMTs. And boy, when this bear chases them down, I never knew a bear could run at cheetah speed. Again, cocaine is a hell of a drug. You got the Tennessee cop who comes into Georgia. He's completely out of his jurisdiction. You got the drug lords and his uh, son and the son's friend, who's also a drug dealer, searching for the drugs. Of course, the drug lord is Ray Liotta. He sends his son to go find the cocaine, and he sends his son's friend with him to help collect it. Now, of course, Ray Liotta's son is in a bit of emotional distress because his wife just died, and so he's a big wreck. It took a little while to warm up to his character. But once he got going, you were pretty, you were, Ray Liotta's motive for all this is that the Colombians are going to come after him and his family if they don't go find that cocaine. Then you have the park hoodlums who are just terrorizing the park, stealing money, beating up people. Only they go to try to beat up the drug lord's drug dealer and uh, he leaves them in a big nice little pile inside the bathroom. Finally, Ray Liotta is a little tired that the progress is not being made. So he shows up anyway. Which let's get to Ray Liotta and Carrie Russell. This was kind of a movie that I would have thought would be a paycheck movie, especially for them because they're they're well known actors and you haven't really seen a whole lot of them on any of the movies lately. And Ray Liotta's kind of been on that edge anyway. Now this is the perfect movie for Ray Liotta to go out on. He gave a very strong performance. And for a movie that is insane, funny, campy, and just got a whole lot of stupid things going on, he plays a great little straight man in this. And the fact that he's dead set on getting that cocaine back. Now, throughout the movie, you think his whole deal was, oh, I got to have my money, I got to have my money. But then he lets one second slip out. As he's sitting there talking to his son, he goes, look, we've got to get this cocaine because if we don't, not only are they going to kill me, they're going to kill you and they're going to kill your son. And I can't let that happen. So, one brief moment in the film, you see Ray let down that guard that, Look, I love y'all. I don't care how stupid or how bad things are for you. I love you and I still want to take care of you. So, it was a great little moment in the movie. But that's not Ray's best moment. Ray's best moment is near the end when the bear and her cubs get to Ray Liotta. It was an amazing death. In fact, I would have to put that up there as, when we announce the Flamethrower Awards later on, as the best death of the year. Now, you know what it is. I'm going to go ahead and re- spoil the rest of it for you. So here's the spoiler alert. So the bear and their cubs have Ray trapped on a waterfall. Now, the cubs are a little uh, uh, coke-induced, or are on a little coke rage themselves because they... They found a bag of cocaine, and they were swimming in the cocaine. They were so covered in cocaine, you would have thought they were polar bears. Now Ray Liotta is trapped. Everybody else has escaped, and this is where the mama bear decides it's a teachable moment for her cubs. This is where they need to learn to hunt and to kill. And they take out Ray Liotta and they start munching on his intestines like they were slurping up spaghetti and meatball. It was a great scene. And as far as horrors related, the gore was right there when it needed to be. And that, to me, that made the whole theater laugh. Because you would think that would be kind of a gross scene. And to Carrie Russell's part, she did really, really good on playing that strong mother. Looking out for her daughter. Protecting her daughter at all costs. Even when she confronts Ray Liotta, she's practically fearless. The only thing that has her uh, in fear is because Ray has a gun. But when the tables are turned and she gets the gun, she's able to go full mom mode and keep Ray Liotta at bay and decides to uh and then the bear shows up and they decide to well, our best option is to jump off the waterfall and into the water and they're quickly followed by Ray Liotta's son and uh the drug dealer. Okay, now we got to start giving some good some good details here. Ray Liotta's son is played by Alden Ehrenreich which for most of you who don't know him, he was in the movie Beautiful Creatures and he played Han Solo and Solo, which he gets a lot of, of bad rap. He gets a very bad rap for his movies, uh, that he's a bad actor and all that. So you would think his casting in here really was just, um, it's kind of a, I need a job, I'm still trying to break in. But for me, I've always liked the movies he's been in. And of course, I just mentioned the two that I've really seen him in and I really liked Beautiful Creatures And Solo. I think he's a dang good Han Solo. If you want to try to change my mind, email kgoolradio at gmail.com. Because that's not going to happen. I think he looked great in the part for Han Solo. But in this part, as a son who's, uh, I mean, as a father who just or a husband who just lost his wife. And he's having to deal with that. And he's kind of pawned off his son to his father for a little bit until he gets his act together. And it's O'Shea Jackson Jr. that plays David, who's the drug dealer. Now I don't really know who he is. I know he's in uh, Straight Out of Compton. Homeboy boy looks just like Ice Cube, so I'm guessing that's the uh, character he played. He has a great moment in the scene in the movie as well. Now here comes a huge plot twist. So once again, spoiler alert: I'm spoiling the movie for you. When Isaiah Whitlock comes into the scene. He, he's he got the drug dealers like ha 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 got you now and then his partner shows up who's supposed to be watching his dog well it turns out that his partner or iola smart is actually working for the cops and she was i tried to tell you i tried to warn you it's not a huge um gut-wrenching twist kind of predictable for a movie like that but in the scene where they're all at the waterfall she's with him Or She's with David and Eddie, which is Alden Eidrich's character. And she tries to walk away and Ray Liotta's going to shoot her. Well, David steps in the way and lets her get away. So you see some kind of connection between the two there. And that he's not going to let somebody take her away or take her life without having to take his. So I thought it was a pretty cool scene for that. There's some minor character development in there. And it does take a while to get all the characters into the scene. Which is the forest? And from my understanding, Cocaine Bear did pretty good on the opening weekend. It made like twenty-five million, which the movie probably only need like two to make, which probably all went to Cary Russell and Ray Liotta. Now, as I said, this was a great film for Ray Liotta to go out on because Ray passed just a few months ago, and so this was a really, really good movie for him. He strong performance, more than I was expecting. See, I thought Cocaine Bear was going to be a cheesy CGI movie like anything I've seen on Sci-Fi Channel. Like the Sharknadoes and all the other monsters running amok movies. It always looked bad. But for here, the CGI worked really well. It was really good. Could barely see any of the computer generatedness. But the success of Cocaine Bear, I just know a bunch of people or a bunch of other movie companies are they're going to jump on this bandwagon. We're going to have a whole slew of movies with Drug. Animal. Drug. Animal. In fact, the Asylum, which makes all the sci-fi channel movies, or has made them, or makes what they call mockbusters, they were the ones responsible for Sharktopus, which, in a weird way, I enjoyed. I laughed and snickered. Not as much as Cocaine Bear, but they were still pretty good. But you can always tell the CG. Uh, uh, The CGI is bad. Okay, how are you going to make a shark and an octopus look? real i'm sorry okay i'll take that one back a little bit they have announced that they're going to make the movie the attack of the meth gator this one I, i i promise you i probably won't go see it's going to be one of those straight to video movies or straight to tv movies because they have their own channel on pluto so i could see that happening but it makes me wonder what other movies could we possibly get i got that answer for you marijuana iguana and cheetah on speed yeah, that's very well possible. I mean, what we're going to get uh fentanyl lion. It's just going to get uh there's going to be a rash of them and they're all going to be there will be nowhere close to what cocaine bear is. So here's my wrap up of cocaine bear. It is a great movie to go see if you lo- if you don't like cussing, I suggest you stay away cuz there's a ton of it. You have Henry who's the friend of Dee Dee and Dee Dee is the daughter of Carrie Russell. They cuss a lot. So if you don't want to see cussing, then you want to pass this one up. But overall, I give it four lines out of five. So that's it for Cocaine Baron. Let's go ahead and go set up for Tommy's flamethrower demonstration. So enjoy tonight's creature feature.
1: I'm Watson Pritchard. In just a minute I'll show you the only really haunted house in the world. Since it was built a century ago, seven people, including my brother, have been murdered in it. Since then, I've owned the house. I've only spent one night there and when they found me in the morning, I, I was almost dead.
2: I'm Frederick Lauren. and I've rented the house on Haunted Hill tonight so that my wife can give a party, a haunted house party. Hmm. She's so amusing. There'll be food and drink and ghosts, and perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. If any of you will spend the next 12 hours in this house, I'll give you each $10,000, or your next of kin in case you don't survive. Ah, but here come our other guests. It was my wife's idea to have our guests come in funeral cars. Hmm. She's so amusing. Her sense of humor is, shall we say, original. I dreamed up the hearse. It's empty now, but after a night in the house on Haunted Hill, who knows? This is Lance Schroeder, a test pilot. So no doubt a brave man. But don't you think you can be much braver if you're paid for it? And I happen to know that Lance needs the $10,000 i will give him. If he's brave enough to stay all night. This is Ruth Bridges. You've no doubt read her column in the newspapers. She says her reason for coming to the party is to write a feature article on ghosts. She's also desperate for money. Gambles. You've already met Watson Pritchard. A man living in mortal fear of a house, and yet he is risking his life to spend another night here. I wonder why. He says, for money. This is Dr. David Trent, a psychiatrist. He claims that my ghost will help his work on hysteria. But don't you see a little touch of greed there, around the mouth and eyes? This is Nora Manning. I picked her from the thousands of people who work for me because she needed the 10,000 more than most. Supports her whole family. Isn't she pretty? The party's starting now, and you have until midnight to find the house on Haunted Hill.
3: A very warm welcome is it
1: only the ghosts in this house are glad we're here
4: are we all strangers to each other don't you two know each other
5: i'm afraid i don't even know your name
4: i know a Manning. lance schroeder is Frederick lauren a friend of yours i've heard of him but i've never met him
3: i work for one of his companies but i've never seen him
4: i've never met the man either just a phone call do
3: you know him
1: <laughs> no
4: well, then you're the only one of us
1: who does. I don't know him. All the details about running the house were done by mail.
6: He's quite wealthy, isn't he? Millions. And uh, five wives, I believe.
4: Four, I think, so far.
6: The $50,000 party for only five people is a little steep even for a millionaire. <laughs> well,
5: if I were going to haunt anybody, this would certainly be the house I'd do it in.
3: close the door
5: this thing's made of solid steel
2: Fortunately, still alive. Is your face on yet?
3: Dust and dirt everywhere, and the water barely trickles. Couldn't you have had the place cleaned?
2: Atmosphere, darling, you know how ghosts are. They never tidy up. And that's a very fetching outfit, but hardly suitable for a party.
3: I'm not going to the party.
2: You mm, spend-the-night ghost party was your idea, remember? Since it's gonna cost me $50,000, I want you to have fun.
3: The party was my idea until you invited all the guests. Why all these strangers? Why none of our friends?
2: Friends? Do we have any friends?
3: No, your jealousy took care of that.
2: I had a reason for inviting each guest. I wanted kind of a cross-section. From psychiatrist to typist, and from drunk to jet pilot. They share one thing. They all need money. Now, let's see if they're brave enough to earn it.
3: And you call this a party? Could be. Why do you always do that? It spoils the champagne.
2: It might explode.
3: Never does.
2: Would you guarantee that?
3: That isn't funny, Frederick.
2: Make a good headline. Playboy kills wife with champagne cork will you join me no thank you just a sip might improve your humor
3: my humor is fine thanks and i haven't poisoned it
2: it's always good to know that have some you'll enjoy the party more go on
3: Your trust is so touching. And I'm not going to the party.
2: Of all my wives, you are the least agreeable.
3: But still alive. Hmm.
2: Would you go away for a million dollars tax-free? You want it all, don't you?
3: I deserve it all. Your jealousy isn't tax-free, then your possessiveness is maddening.
2: If ever a man had grounds for divorce.
3: But can't prove them.
2: The time will come. You'll slip up one of these days.
3: Think so?
2: If I live long enough. You remember the fun we had when you poisoned me?
3: (laughs) Something you ate, the doctor said.
2: Yes. Arsenic on the rocks. Annabelle. You'd do it again if you thought you could get away with it, wouldn't you?
3: Darling, what makes you think that?
2: Something about you. I hear that hanging is very uncomfortable in case you get any
3: more ideas.
2: And don't let the ghosts and the ghouls disturb you, darling.
3: Darling, the only ghoul in the house is you.
2: And don't sit up all night thinking of ways to get rid of me, it makes wrinkles.
0: Welcome back to Frightening Tales. I hope you're enjoying your movie thus far. So let's get into the topic of tonight, flamethrowers. We are now in the backyard. He has this area nice and cleared out because this is where he does all his cooking. That's right. All I do back here is blacken everything from roast beef to turkey to chicken to Tarduckins. If it's meat and you want a little beast and butt rub on it and you want it blackened, I'm your man. So while I set up my little demonstration here for you, Justin's going to give you a little history on the flamethrower itself. If there's one group of people who knows the flamethrower, it's the Marines. It's practically baked into their DNA. That is correct, Tommy. The Marine Corps knows this flamethrower very well. We used it all throughout World War II to win the Pacific. Mainly in Iwo Jima, we would use it to uh, get inside the pillboxes and flush the defenders out. We even had a Marine win a Medal of Honor for using the flamethrower, and that is Corporal Herschel Woody Williams, who just died last year. He was a big instrumental man in the Marine Corps League and for the Gold Star family. So he's a tough loss for us. But he received the Medal of Honor for his actions on the island of Iwo Jima on February 23, 1945. Here's the scene. Tanks are all bogged down in the sand because they didn't take into consideration that Sulfur sand or volcanic sand would be far different than their normal beach sand. So the tanks are all bogged down in the sand. We have to take the fight on foot. And the Japanese are hunkered down into these big giant concrete pillboxes. So what does Williams do? He volunteered to assault this position. He's carrying a 60 to 70 pound tank on his back. I mean... You see this, and snipers are just going to have a field day to try to shoot him. But anyway, he volunteers to assault the positions while four of his riflemen covered his advance. According to his Medal of Honor citation, this is what Williams did. He daringly mounted a pillbox to insert the nozzle of his flamethrower through the air vent, kill the occupants, and silence the gun. On another, he grimly charged enemy riflemen who attempted to stop him with bayonets, and he destroyed them with a burst of flame from his weapon. This is a master flame jitsu right here. And this is what made the flamethrower so terrifying and devastating. The Marine Corps was not the first to use the flamethrowers. In fact, you got to go all the way back to the 7th century in the Byzantines and their Greek fire. Greek fire was probably a mixture of liquid petroleum, sulfur, quicklime, and other elements. It was a highly flammable oil-based fluid. Now, the Byzantines would pump this substance from a large reservoir through narrow brass tubes. These tubes concentrated the pressurized liquid into a powerful stream, the same way a hose and nozzle concentrate water into a narrow jet. The soldiers lit a fuse at the end of this brass tube to ignite the fluid, and it all just shot out. Now, they mounted these weapons along the walls of Constantinople, as well as the bows of their ships. So now, you see the early river warfare using flamethrower all the way back in 7th century Constantinople. Of course, the Byzantine enemies were mystified by this horrific weapon. Could you imagine being in the 7th century and you approach on the wall and the city's walls just started igniting fire out of it? You would think they had a bunch of pet dragons or something. The Chinese would advance this technology. They would basically use a a more double-acting billow. You know, one of those things that you see in the cartoons where they... Push in, push out, push in, push out. Well, they consisted of a pivoting pedal that drove the two pumping chambers. By using this pump, they constantly pushed out fluid, which allowed for a continuous stream of fuel and therefore a very a continuous blast of fire. But of course, with the invention of gunpowder, flamethrower went to the side for a while. We'll say it went on the back burner for, the, for a little while, for several centuries. Is not till World War I, when a German rediscovered the flamethrower. A German inventor, Richard Feidler, would be the one who reintroduced the flamethrower to modern arsenals. Uh, it was basically created out of a stalemate on World War I's Western Front. Basically, the Germans, the British, and the French, they were all just entrenched. Nobody was making headway in this battle. So something had to change. And lo and behold, here comes the flamethrower. Now, Feidler's flamethrower went through many revisions, but it could throw fire up to 120 feet away, so that was a pretty good weapon to use in trench warfare. Now, his weapon was untested and was a secret up until flamethrower troops arrived at the Battle of Verdun. This battle would last from February 1916 to December 1916. That's an unnamed French officer witnessed the first flamethrower used in battle. He said it was something too terrible for words. That's what he told a Scotland-based newspaper in July of 16. It was a nightmare, perfect hell, yet though many fell, no one failed. So initially it scared the Allied forces, but they soon overcame that fear and began working on their own. Now this is why the Allied never feared it. There was a fatal flaw and fielders flamethrower he had no thickening agent which would allow it to stick to his target because once you got the fire to stick to the target it would stay there and burn instead it just kind of like hit the ground and the troops were able to move away it was so that was the first reintroduction of the flamethrower now it would not really get its ferociousness until february 14th 1942 that's right. Napalm was invented on Valentine's Day. So not only we've got the Valentine's Day massacre, but we can massacre more with Napalm. This would be the version of flamethrower that we would see throughout the Pacific campaigns, also into Vietnam and the Korean Wars. I know I got the two kind of switched up there. Korean came before Vietnam, but you get the point. Now the, the flamethrowers that were used on Iwo Jima and Okinawa were the M1s and the M1A portable flamethrowers. Now, there's a great video in this, or a great show on the Smithsonian channel. Uh, there's this guy he goes around looking for different weapons used throughout war and he wants to use it. He wants to shoot it, he wants to ignite it, and he actually found a working M1A1 portable flamethrower. Napalm itself was a combination of naphthenic and palmitic acid, which was created by Harvard chemistry professor Louis Pfeisser. Now here's where the flamethrower gets another gruesome twist to it. Having a flamethrower is like having a fire-breathing dragon on your back, right? Well, what if you attached it to, say, a tank? Well, now you got something that armors and protects you and dispenses up to 120 feet of flame. That's some pretty good stuff there. You've seen some tanks, like the M3 light tanks, were converted into flamethrower tanks. The M3A1s were nicknamed Satans. They helped uproot entrenched Japanese soldiers, and they were also used in the Battle of Okinawa. They used more than 200,000 gallons of napalm-thickened fuel in the defensive positions all along the hills, the cliffs, and the caves. So here, you not only got to fear the guy with the flamethrower on the back, but you got a lightweight tank that, hey, here we go, it just pulls up, you're shooting, you hear the bullets ricochet off, and the guy behind the uh, gunner goes, and there you go. So now, how would a flamethrower on a tank actually work? That's the cool part here. And what would be uh, crazy about it? So they were typically, typically, the fuel in these weapons were driven by a rotary or piston pump, powered directly by the tank engine with greater pumping power. Tank-mounted flamethrowers had better range and more fuel tank capacity. You know, so thus they had a larger ammunition supply, and they can go for hours on in where your standard run-of-the-mill infantryman with the flamethrower on his back would have to go, say, refuel. Now, the U.S. Wasn't the, wasn't the only one using the flamethrowers in the jungles of Vietnam. The North Vietnamese Army was using flamethrowers at U.S. Marines at Con Tien on May 8, 1967. They att- their attack included assaults against American-held bunkers by sappers and flamethrowers from the 4th and 6th Battalions of the 812 NVA Regiment. When the fighting ceased, the Marines had reportedly suffered 44 killed in action and many more wounded with nearly 200 NVA soldiers dead. According to Edward J. Marolda and R. Blake Dunnevent, in combat at close quarters warfare on rivers and canals of Vietnam, the River Patrol Force used not only fire arrows, but also flamethrowers and water cannon to destroy enemy positions on the Mekong Delta Riverbanks. Even though there's no international law that bans flamethrowers, the US retired it because they were deemed inhumane, mostly because of the devastating effects of the liquid hell fire. Now if you read want to read where I got some of my information from here, go to coffeeordie.com and check out the article A Brief and Violent History of the Modern Flamethrower. I also used How Flamethrowers Work by Tom Harris at science.howstuffworks.com. Both of those articles were pretty good on explaining how the flamethrowers work. If you want to hear a good fictional account of flamethrowers, the best one I ever heard came from Reign of Fires and How Dragons Can Actually Breathe Fire. Now that we've talked a little bit about the history of flamethrowers, here's the big question. How can somebody like Tommy own a flamethrower? Well, apparently it's perfectly legal to buy one because you can get one out of the Bud K catalog or you can go to borncompany.com. They have one that's called This Is Not A Flamethrower. Well, I guess none of them really are a flamethrower. Or we can let Tommy explain his. You see, what I have here is the EK3000. What does the EK stand for? Extra Crispy. Of course, this is a patent pending one. I've developed this myself. And it looks a lot like the one you could get on Budcade, but I made a little few modifications here or there. So now I'm going to go through several different ways to use your flamethrower. And of course, you can see all this on YouTube. I'll mention a little bit later on about the use of flamethrowers in movies, but here's the best way to use it. You see my target out there? It's about 25, 50 feet away. Yeah, mine's not going to get about 120 feet. Uh, I just don't want to accidentally burn down my house. Now, what you want to do is you want to aim at your target's feet. Because if you aim too high, you might actually go over his head. You might miss, which I don't really know how you could. But everybody says aim for the feet because it just turns him into one ooey gooey mess. Now, if you don't think the flamethrower is popular, just go look at Star Wars. Both Bubba Fett and the Mandalorian have one. It seems that other Mandalorians might have one as well. Now, that's one way to take out your target. Hit him at the feet. And then go work your way up. Another will be like a zombie horde invasion. You just kind of start at that feet and you go to the right. And then you go to the left. Create a nice wall of flame for them to walk through. That's why I have a flamethrower plus Vera. Now sometimes I'll bring Dante out with us on a campsite. Just to get the fire going. I can make a fire in my normal way. But where's the fun in that? The fun is just to go ahead, get a hold of Dante, and squeeze the trigger. Now, let me show you how I use Dante to blacken beast, chicken, turkey, or even turduckens. Hey, Justin, go over there to that little slinging machine. Dude, it's just a giant slingshot, like a water balloon slingshot. Yeah, I know. Now, when you get over there, I want you to put that, that turkey right there into the middle of the slingshot. After you do that, I want you to take several steps back and pull it back, just like that. There you go. Now. I'm going to go over here with Dante. When I say pull, I want you to let it go. Pull! (laughs) That right there is how it's done. Blackened turkey. You can use whatever herbs and spices that you want. But what gets it is that nice little flame right there. Alright, we're going to return to our movie. And when we come back, the top 10 flamethrower scenes in horror movies.
1: This is what she used on my brother and her sister. Hacked them to pieces. We found parts of the bodies all over the house. And places you wouldn't think. A funny thing is, the heads have never been found. Hands and feet and things like that. But no heads. The wife, probably in a
6: rage, threatened her husband with a knife and then carried away by hysteria, took a swing at him and simply went
5: on from there. She certainly went on. How many people did she kill, Mr. Pritchard?
1: Only two. Her husband and her sister, no one else was here. So there are two loose heads just floating around in here somewhere? You can hear them at night. They whisper to each other
4: and then cry. (laughs) Since our host isn't here, would anyone care to mix me a drink?
6: Certainly. What will you have?
2: Good evening. I'm your host, Frederick Lauren. Since we're all strangers to each other, let's get acquainted with the drink, shall we?
1: Mr. Lauren, I advise you to call this party off now. The ghosts are already moving, and that's a bad sign. Let me apologize for my wife. She'll join us later. What do you have?
4: Scotch and. Doctor?
2: I'll have the same. Now, before the party begins, let's go over the details. The caretakers will leave at midnight, locking us in here until they come back in the morning once the door is locked, there's no way out. The windows have bars that a jail would be proud of, and the only door to the outside locks like a vault. There's no electricity, no phone, no one within miles. So, no way to call for help. Like a coffin. So, if any of you decide not to stay for the party, you must let me know before midnight. Of course, if you leave, I shan't be able to pay you anything. I'm interested in your
6: reasons for this, uh, party. Aside from the pleasant company.
2: Ghosts, Doctor. I think everyone wonders what they would do if they saw a ghost. And now my wife has given us all the opportunity to find out. <laughs> Amusing.
6: Ghosts, etc., being only creations of hysteria, Your party should be
2: a success. Well, Pritchard here promises us genuine ghosts. Seven
1: now. Maybe more before morning. That's cheerful. Four men have been murdered in this house. And three women. You planned your party very well, Mr. Lauren. Four of us
6: are
2: men, three are women. A ghost for everybody. (laughs) Well, Richard, why don't you take us on a tour through the house, and yeah, let's see what happens, huh? See
1: that stain? Blood. A young girl was killed here, and whatever got her wasn't human. Don't stand there! What do you
0: mean? Where?
1: too late. They've marked you.
2: Ridiculous. The roof probably leaks.
4: Oh, that must be what it is. Who would want to haunt me?
2: I would say any self-respecting male ghost. I hope it doesn't come back. Well, Mr. Pritchard, you're the life of the party. He hasn't even started yet. Wasn't there a man who threw his wife into a wine vat or something?
1: That was in the cellar. There's been a murder almost every place in this house. Mr. Norton, who didn't die here, he was electrocuted later. Mr. Norton did a good deal of experimenting with wines. But his wife didn't think it was any good. So he filled the vat with acid and threw her in. She was supposed to stay down. But the bones came up. It's a funny thing. None of the murders here were just ordinary. Just shooting or stabbing. They've all been sort of wild. Violent and different. Oh God, she didn't fall in.
3: You mean there's still acid in there?
1: Everything with hair and flesh it just leaves the bones. My, it's dry and dusty down here. Well, there's a, a cure for that upstairs.
2: <laughs> Come on.
5: i invited to this party. No. No, go on. I mean, what did he tell you?
3: Mr. Lawrence said everybody would get $10,000.
5: But he didn't say anything about being locked in. No. Uh, he just made a deal with me on the phone, but nothing about having to stay.
3: Aren't you going to stay?
5: If I don't, I lose $10,000.
3: I'm going to
5: stay, too. $10,000. Yeah. You believe in ghosts? I don't know. Well, I agree with what that doc says. You can spook yourself. I've done it in planes. Seen things that weren't really there. Or were they? (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do with your $10,000? If we get it.
3: What do you mean, if we get it? Won't he pay us if we stay?
5: Ah, sure he will. 10000 is no more to him than a nickel, is that?
3: We were in an automobile accident. Now I'm the only one in the family who can make any money.
5: Boy, I've never seen so many doors. A closet.
3: Does it go anywhere?
1: I wonder why they didn't kill him. Who? He didn't bump his head, they hit him.
0: I'm your host, Justin, and my co-host is Tommy, and today it's all about burning down the house and the flamethrowers. Tommy just gave us a lesson on how to use a flamethrower a very, very great lesson, I might add. It's fun to be back inside while everything else outside cools down. So now we're going to jump into Tommy's top 10 flamethrower scenes. All right, Tommy, this one is all you. Now, it was tough to find a bunch of horror movies with flamethrower scenes in it. So quite frankly, I'm disappointed. So I had to do some searching on the internet, and I came across longlivethevoid.com. He has 10 scenes, and I kind of agree with him. I don't agree with his order, so we'll, we'll just wing it here for a little bit. The first movie up he has is The Bellflower. Never heard of it, never seen it, but it's back in 2011, so I'll give it some credit for being an obscure movie. Now, Dr. Lovecore, that's the guy who wrote this article, says he loves strange movies, and Bellflower falls underneath one of those psychological horror movies to him. So chances of me going to watch this have uh, reduced a little bit. But then he goes, there's a fair amount of flamethrower scenes to choose from. So now I'm very curious, I might have to check it out. But he's included a GIF of one of the images from this scene, and I have to admit, this does look like a pretty good flamethrower scene. Old boy is sitting there in the back with his nice flamethrower. Not as cool as Dante. But he's got the right method down. He should have aimed a little bit lower though. Because he's taking out a scarecrow. And then as Dr. Lovegore says, it's a great scene to show what kind of damage a flamethrower can do in such a quick period of time. So when he's aiming at this scarecrow, the flame kind of goes right behind the scarecrow. And then he kind of gets him. Which, still effective. But not proper technique. At number nine, he's got Phantasm 2. Now, I probably would have bumped this movie up to about four or five. Because the Phantasm movies, (laughs) that dang tall man, scares the daylights out of me. So here you see Ricky and Mike. I mean, not Ricky. Where did I get Ricky from? Here you have Reggie and Mike. And they are gearing up to take on the tall man. Now, you see, Reggie is making his own little flamethrower over here. And I gotta admit, that's a man after my own heart. Because he's made his own, just like my Dante. Mike here is going to use his flamethrower a little bit later on in the movie. But this gearing up scene is much, much better. But like I said, I would have put Phantasm too much higher than number nine. Coming in at number eight, I don't consider Mad Max a horror movie. That's just plain old action with dumb storylines. Of course, I don't really like the post apocalyptic movie anyway. But at number eight, he's got Mad Max 2, the Road Warrior. In this scene, you see Mel Gibson is standing on a wall and he is just lighting people up that are trying to get in while some dude is dressed in all, uh, we'll uh, say barely dressed. Just stands there and looks at him. It's been a long time since I've seen Mad Max too. And if you want to use a Mad Max movie for a flamethrower, I wouldn't have gone with Road Warrior. I'd have gone with Fury Road and that flamethrower guitar. All that just goes great in my theme song there. Oh, I, I, I could see, uh, I'm about to make Justin make me a video. Coming in at number seven, another movie that I would rank up m- much higher. The Thing in 1982 with Kurt Russell. Now, to me, that would have been number two for me. Because Kurt is just... There's only one way to take this alien out. And it's with a flamethrower. And he dispenses flamethrowing justice to perfect degree. And I love every bit of it. So I definitely wouldn't have put that at number seven. That would have been number two for me. Now, is number six. Again, I disagree with his ranking. This would have been number three for me. Puppet Master 2. Now, if you saw the first Puppet Master... You'd have been like, okay, that's all right. I don't think I want to see a second. But you got to see the second. Because then the second is a flamethrowing puppet. Can you believe it? <laughs> that crazy guy made a puppet with a flamethrower in it. Could you imagine the canisters that it takes to make that? Of course, what does he name this puppet? Torch. And the first time you see Torch torch someone it's some poor old lady out in the cabin out right on a farm was going all crazy. He just shows up, she's got the shotgun and instead of shooting her, she gets toasted like smores. Now, Torch's technique is not that great cause he didn't start from the bottom and work his way up. He more or less shot at her knees and then worked his way up. But hey, if I saw that little dude, I know one thing: I better run unless I got Dante, then he's toast. Now, another movie he's got in here I haven't heard much of, or even ever even heard of, and to begin with, Overlord, back in 2018. He said this one was really hard to get into, but it took a while to get to the horror. And what he really liked about it is the scene where she burns down this fella here. And his words were, This is definitely the face you should make whenever you fire one of these babies. Now she's got one of these mean grins. Me, I just get a smile from ear to ear when I get Dante out. So since I've done some shuffling around and moved movies a bit, let's kick some of these other ones down a lot further. Number four, he has Return of the Living Dead Part 2. In this scene, a zombie is trying to negotiate, but it doesn't go so well. And of course, this is one of those uh, comical scenes. She agrees not to eat brains for a while, but she still gets toasted there in the end. Now I have to admit, the flamethrower is the perfect weapon for zombies. Doesn't make a whole lot of noise, and causes a whole lot of damage. Imagine you had four or five people with flamethrowers as that zombie horde comes towards you. All you gotta do is just turn it on. And let her burn through. And you can even just set other things on fire and set... And just as the zombies run through the other zombies that are on fire, they're going to catch fire too. Perfect weapon for the zombie apocalypse. Coming in at number three is the blob. I'm not a huge fan of the blob, so this one I would have stuck at like number nine. But just because there's a flamethrower in it, and oh boy, it doesn't look like he's doing so well with it. I don't know how a flamethrower would do to a gelatinous cube of stuff. Maybe uh, one day we'll try that out, don't you think, Justin? Coming in at number two, Night of the Creeps. Now, I could have seen this as being at number five or number six. This is what you call double tap. One boy shoots the creep in the head, his head explodes, the other guy deep fries whatever comes out. Just pure incineration. Now we're on to number one. And this, I completely agree with. Best flamethrower ever. Have you ever wondered if you could just flame broil an egg? Well, in Aliens, you get just that. Ripley walks into the nest. There's that queen alien. And Ripley just lets it rip. And she starts deep frying every egg she could see. And look, she's got the best technique ever. She's got her flamethrower low, pointed low. And she just goes from left to right, right to left. And I mean, it catches every egg on fire. And that alien queen, she ain't all that happy. Well, that sums it up. There's the 10 best flamethrower scenes ever in a horror movie. Of course, there's a few honorable mentions in there. You got Chud. Oh, I forgot about that scene from The Watchmen. When the comedian's over there in, in Vietnam and just roasting everything in sight. He's got that look on his face like, damn, war is hell. But I sure like it. And then... Lethal Weapon 4, I forgot about that. No Riggs tricks old Murtaugh to go out there and distract the flamethrower guy so he could shoot the guy and uh, accidentally blow up everything around him. Oh, good times, good times. Well, there you have it. The top 10 flamethrower scenes ever in a horror movie or movie now. I hope you really enjoyed this list. If you got other suggestions, hey, just email my boy Justin at kgoolradio at gmail.com. We're going to return to our movie. When we come back, we are going to make the big announcement that you all have been waiting for the Flamethrower Awards. You're listening to Frightening Tales.
2: When you came in, you said something about a ghost.
3: There was something.
2: What did it look like?
3: Well, it it was wearing a black thing that went all the way to the floor.
6: Weren't you a little frightened at the time?
3: Well, yes.
2: That, Mr. Lauren, is hysteria. Well, then, Doctor, how do you explain what happened to Lance? Was that hysteria, too? you better get that checked in a day or so.
5: Thanks, Doc. Wait for me in the hall.
1: The ghosts
2: are coming closer, Mr. Lauren. You really believe in your pet ghost, don't you, Pritchett? Before the night's over, you will, too. would you like a drink, Lance?
5: Uh, no, thanks.
4: I'd like one. Scotch and... Mr. Lauren, are you really going to pay anyone who stays all night?
2: Certainly. $10,000.
4: Will there be much red tape or delay?
2: You in a hurry, dear?
4: (laughs) Frankly, yes.
2: Or frantically. There you are, my dear.
5: or something was in here when I came in. But where? And if the door was locked, how did it get out? What you saw might have been a ghost, Nora, but what was in here with me was no ghost.
3: I don't know. I was so scared.
5: Does that sound different to you? Yes. Three, six, nine, twelve. Twelve feet. Three, six. I'm gonna knock on the other wall. When you hear me, you knock on this wall.
2: Where would it come from?
0: From in here.
5: Well, if it ran out of here, I'd have seen it.
3: Lance, it doesn't run, it just floats.
5: Yeah, but uh, why didn't I see it?
3: You don't believe me.
5: How <laughs> can I?
3: I'm Annabelle Lauren. You must be Miss Manning. I realize this is a very unusual and I'm afraid very dull party. Wouldn't you like to freshen up? This is your room. Depressing, isn't it? I doubt if I'll spend much time here. It's going to rain. Perfect atmosphere for my husband's party. Why did you come here? He said he'd give me $10,000. Why did he pick you? I don't know. My supervisor just came and said I'd been invited. How long have you known my husband? I just met him tonight. So? Why you? What were you doing wandering around by yourself? Well, I was in the cellar with Lance, Mr. Schroeder, and I just left, that's all. Don't do it again. Don't go anywhere in this house by yourself. Now, fix your face and I'll come by for you in a few minutes. But I... You're in danger. We all are. But who? I hope for your sake you never find her. I'm Annabelle Lauren. Were you looking for something? Uh, Not exactly. Are you the doctor?
5: No. No, I'm Lance Schroeder.
3: The pilot. You've hurt yourself.
5: Oh, it's uh, just a bump on the head. Which is my room?
3: I believe this is it.
5: Thank you, Mrs. Lauren.
3: Annabelle Lance. You were with the young girl in the cellar. Why was she so upset? Was she? And you don't look like the type to go around bumping his head. What really happened, Lance?
5: Well, Nora thought she saw a ghost, but uh, I didn't see anything.
3: She was just frightened then.
5: And mad at me, I think. I kidded her about it.
3: I wouldn't joke about anything else that happens here tonight.
5: Now, don't tell me you're taking all this seriously.
3: Aren't you? Well,
5: I'd uh, like to find out what hit me.
3: Lance... If I need help, may I count on you?
5: (laughs) Sure, I guess so. Look, what's going on here, anyway? I mean, what is with this party bit?
3: This is no party. He's planning something.
5: Your husband? I
3: wish I knew what it was.
5: Must be pretty big if he's going to lay out 50,000.
3: The money doesn't mean anything. He has a reason for getting us all up here to this dreadful old house.
5: Well, what for? He doesn't even know us.
3: Maybe that's exactly why you're here. Well,
5: what can he get away with?
3: Oh, he thinks that big money like his can get away with anything. You know, of course, that I'm his fourth wife. The first simply disappeared. The other two died. Lance, I don't want to join them.
5: You mean he, uh... Oh,
3: his doctor said they died of heart attacks. Two girls in their 20s
5: well what can he do
3: my husband is sometimes insane with jealousy nothing matters to him then. please be careful
5: would he hurt you
3: he would kill me if he could
2: all the fun. Nora Manning was almost killed by a falling chandelier. The pilot bashed his head in.
3: Is he badly hurt?
2: The Saturnine psychiatrist bandaged him up. Don't you want to go and console him, as you do most men, in your fashion?
3: You're so clever, Frederick.
2: Yes, I lie awake nights wondering why I married you. Was rather a mistake.
3: You didn't marry me, dear. I married you. Unpleasant, but No mistake. Hurry up. Frederick, for the last time, I'm not going to your party.
2: And for the last time, it's not my party, but yours. And you are going.
3: I am not. Are you ready, dear? No.
2: Are you ready, dear?
3: Yes. Damn you.
2: Would you adore me as much if I were poor? <laughs> All you want to be is a lovely widow. almost time to lock up the house and then your party will really begin i wonder how it'll end it's close to midnight lance
5: Okay, I'll be down in a minute.
3: Who is it?
2: Your host, my dear. It's almost midnight, Nora. We're all going to get together down in the living room.
3: All right, Mr. Lloyd. I'll be right down.
0: Welcome back to Frightening Tales. So far, we've had a good history on the flamethrower, the top 10 flamethrower scenes, and my review of Cocaine Bear. So now it's time for our major announcement. Me and Tommy have decided that we are going to create the Flamethrower Awards. That's right, we are going to challenge Fangoria. Not really challenge Fangoria, we just, we were inspired by Fangoria's Chainsaw Awards to create our own awards. Because we didn't quite agree with all they had in there, and they're kind of boring. I mean, come on. In a lot of the movies, I've never even heard of. So the Flamethrower Awards are going to be far different. We're not going to have the same categories of best actor, best actress, best supporting actor. Who understands any of that? Nobody. It's kind of some weird convoluted rule thing. So we decided we're going to do our own thing, and um, we're not really going to have a whole lot of rules for it. So let's start off with our first category, Best Movie. Okay, that is similar to everybody else, but we can't have one where they can just go, oh, that was a great movie, and not have a Best Movie category. And then we're going to have the Best Story, which means that it's going to be one of the best movies that had the better story of it. So Best Movie is kind of more of like cinematography, how we felt with it. I mean, just your general normal feels category the best story is going to be judged much harshly like take cocaine bear for example there is absolutely no way you can make a story about a bear rampaging on cocaine but there was a story in there there was a story about father and you know father loving for his son or looking out for his son and a mother protecting her daughter i mean there was if you look into it there's a story now is that going to be best story ever no it's not going to be best story of the year but it's there And then we're going to have like best kill. And so far we've already gotten that category Ray Liotta's death because that's the bear killing Ray. And it's amazing. That is going to be a strong contender. It's going to be a tough year to fight that, uh, to find that one. But, uh, I've seen some other movies that are coming up that, uh, have officially hit my, now that will scare the pants off of me category. Ooh, sounds like a new category. Scared the pants off of me category. We've also got the best character. I don't care about who's playing the role. I care about the character itself. What character development did we see? Uh, Is it an iconic character that finally gets its due? Uh, I mean, because look, we got Scream 6 coming up. A whole slew of characters in there. Is Jenny Ortega's character really the best character we're going to see all year? We will find out. The best escape. Now, this is the one that's where it's kind of like tough. How do you get away from the villain? Or even another way, how does the villain escape? Because sometimes a good guy doesn't always win. But the best escape. And it's got to be an imaginative one. It's got to be like flamethrower, pull pin, you know, or a trip wire attached to a flamethrower so she could get out of the window. Kind of imagination is what I'm looking for in that. The best plot twist. Now that is what I'm looking for. What what did I not see coming? That's how that's gonna come down to the best villain reveal ever. Now, this category will be a little tough considering that you'll know the villain at the beginning. But if you're smart, like the series Stranger Things, when they reveal who Vecna really is, I was taken I was completely shocked. I did not see that one coming. Yeah, but you also didn't see Talia come in in Batman, despite being a huge Batman fan. Okay, some things will slip by. But anyway, let's get back to our categories. Other categories, going to be best series. This one should be self-explained here. Stranger Things is going to be inside that. Won't be this year because it looks like Stranger Things doesn't come back. The final season of Stranger Things doesn't hit until 2024, which that's a big bummer to me, by the way. But there's all kinds of other things coming out that we can be looking for for series. The best hero. Now this one will be you know kind of tough because the heroes have to be a part of the story. So they will be uh, you'll have to measure how well they fight their villain and how they defeat and overcome all obstacles. Do they grow as a hero? Uh, what supporting characters needed to get that hero to get there? You know the motivation of it all. Best final girl. I have a feeling. We're going to get something out of Scream or any of these other movies this year. We're going to have new Scream Queens, Best Villain. Now, this is a category that will be tough. Well, Cocaine Bear is already in. The bear itself is already in this list as the best villain ever or the best villain of the year. I'm pretty certain that this one is going to get uh, uh, that will be moved out as I continue to watch the movies this year. Now here is where we're going to uh, stretch away a little bit from the movie side of things. We're going to move into like Best Paranormal Author, Best Paranormal Podcast, Best Paranormal Book, Documentary, Best Event, Best Journalism, and uh, of course, Best Show on Paranormal. Because if you know me, for me to give one to be the best show, that's a lot. Because you know how tough I am on paranormal shows on Discovery Channel. And then we'll move over to like Best Horror Author and Book, Best Horror Podcast, Best True Crime Author Book and Podcast. We're looking around May to have the actual awards show. We will be putting all of our nominations together in February of 2024, but it's only going to be for the movies of 2023. We we decided that we didn't want to try to watch all the movies of 2022 and try to rush one now. So we're just going to be patient, which it's a hard thing for me and Tommy. Well, that wraps up our announcement of the Flamethrower Awards and all of our categories. Uh, I think this is going to be a fun. We're going to get a few people to help us out because we can't possibly read and watch all of that. So I'm going to return you to your movie right now here on Frightening Tales.
5: before he kills you.
2: and his wife. They've been caretakers here for years. She's blind, you know.
3: I'm not going to stay here.
2: Well, doctor, it looks like we have a real case of hysteria on our hands. I think she's just a little upset, not hysterical.
3: Good evening.
2: are our guests. Ruth Bridges, Dr. Trent, you know Watson Pritchard, of course, Nora Manning, and uh, this is Lance Schroeder.
3: Get me out of
5: here. What about the 10,000?
3: I don't care. He wants to kill me.
5: Who wants to kill you?
3: Mr. Lawrence.
2: May I have your attention, please? I think you all remember the bargain we made about staying all night. $10,000 apiece. If any of you don't survive, $50,000 will be divided amongst the rest of you. If I should die, you will be paid by my estate. When the door is locked from the outside by the caretakers, we'll all be forced to stay in this house until morning. If any of you decide not to stay, you must leave with the caretakers now. You won't have a chance to change your minds later, because there'll be no way to get out.
1: I don't want to stay. Wait.
2: Yet, who told them they could leave? They never leave before midnight. Well, they've gone now. I was going to ask you whether you wanted to stay or not, but it seems that the caretakers have made the decision for you. We're all locked in now.
3: But I don't want to stay.
2: I'm sorry, my dear, but it's too late now.
3: Darling, haven't you had enough of this silly game? Get some cars up here for these people and let them go home. But pay them first.
2: This is your party, remember. In spite of my wife's faith in my ability to do the impossible, we will all have to stay in this house until 8 o'clock in the morning. But we have some party favors for you in these little coffins. This is my wife's idea, and I must say, I think it's rather dangerous. I suppose you all know how to use one of these things, but in case you don't, you just press down on this lever with your thumb and then pull the trigger.
1: You see, they're loaded. These are no good against the dead, only the living. Doctor? Lance?
5: Dora, go ahead, take it.
2: Miss Bridges, And here's yours, dear.
3: I don't need it.
2: It was your idea. Who knows, you may want to use it on me before this night is over.
1: Throw these guns
6: away, they won't do you any good. I agree with Pritchard on that point, although not for the same reason.
3: Dr. Trent, don't you approve of our little party favors?
6: Suppose Nora had had a gun when she mistook the blind woman for a ghost.
3: I don't think anyone else is going to walk around in total darkness. Oh, I'm sure we're not gonna go running around the house shooting each other, aren't you?
6: Who knows? Fear makes people do amazing things.
3: Mr. Pritchard You said your sister-in-law killed a man and a woman here and cut them up You said they found hands and feet, but they never found any heads Would you like to see one of those heads? Would you all like to see one of those heads? Well, then, just follow me Darling, I really don't need this. Just go look in my suitcase. Just go look.
6: I think you're a little upset. Would you care for a sedative?
3: Get out! Get out, all of you! All of you, get out of here and
7: leave me alone! Just get out of here!
2: (laughs) You think it's all right to leave her by herself, Doctor?
5: I wish she'd taken the sedative.
4: What do you suppose she thought she saw?
5: They're closing in on her. Look, Doc, I think somebody ought to stay with her.
1: There could be a million people around her. If they wanted her, they'd get her.
3: What if he's right?
2: He's too drunk to know what he's talking about.
3: I wonder. I'll join you in a minute.
5: Do you think it would do any good if you went in and talked to her?
4: Do you think there really was a head in her suitcase? I don't know. A thing like that would put me right over the edge.
5: Look, would you sort of stay up here, I mean, in case she needs help?
4: All right. I'll be in my room, just call it. Thanks.
6: Are you sure there are only seven people in this house? Positive, except for the ghosts. I don't believe in ghosts, nor in frightening women. In Nora's case, it's gone far enough, perhaps too far. What do you suggest we do about it, Doctor? Don't frighten her anymore.
5: about this.
1: They've taken her. In a little while, she'll be one of them. Where's North? Where is she? It's too late. It's too late. You'll never find her again.
5: Pritchard, if you know where she is, you better tell me now. She's
1: gone. She's gone with them. And there's nothing you can do about it.
6: Dead, Mr. Lauren. Your wife hanged herself.
2: Suicide.
0: Welcome back to Frightening Tales. Now we're gonna go into the K-Ghoul Horror Film Club sponsored event, which is the horror moment of the week. This week's horror moment is going to incorporate all kinds of different stuff. The best book, the best kill of the week, the best movie of the week, and everything in between. So the movie you want to check out this week, after tonight, after tonight's frightening tales, is going to be Scream 2022. Yes, I'm back on the Scream kick again because Scream 6 opens this weekend, which I won't see until I'm on vacation. Now, Scream 2022 is just kind of a, a reminder And a refresher so that way Scream 6 plot holes are a little bit filled for me. And also my wife wanted to watch it before she saw Scream 6 because she hadn't seen it yet. Now, when it comes to Scream 2022, the kill of the week belongs to Amber Killin' Dewey. Don't ask me how she overpowers him. She's like, what, 140 soaking wet and he's close to 200? I mean, okay. He may have been stabbed multiple times throughout the years, but there's still he could still overpower her. So let's just kind of ignore that for the moment because his death was really heartfelt. You were like, no, not Dewey, no, no, no. So that is your kill of the week. Now, when it comes to ghost faced, maybe in the next episode I will talk about I will rank the ghost faced killers themselves. But I can tell you now, the, the killers from this movie, Amber and Richie, they're going to be very low on uh, the ranking list. Because I just didn't feel they were strong enough as ghost chase. And I'll explain more about that later in, in a future episode of Frightening Tales. Which, by the way, I do have one coming out on serial killers. You're not going to want to miss this episode. I have an amazing interview with a true crime writer, For one of Louisiana's notorious serial killers, the Baton Rouge serial killer, Derek Todd Lee. Why is this one important, or why you should check this out? He wasn't the only serial killer operating at that time. Pretty crazy story. Now, your book of the week is going to belong to a monster of all time. The true story of Danny Rollin, the Gainesville Ripper. Why is this book important? Well, Danny Rollin is the inspiration for all the Scream movies. That's right. We've got, I've checked out this book and it's a pretty good book. I like it. Now J.T. Hunter does a great job of exploring not only Rollin's past, but the time that he committed the murders and how severe and savage Rowling was in a murder. He's far more savage than Derek Todd Lee, but... We will get to know more about that in a future episode of Frightening Tales. So go ahead, check out the book, A Monster of All Time, The True Story of Danny Rawling, The Gainesville Ripper by J.T. Hunter. Now we're going to finish up our movie, so we will be right back on Frightening Tales.
5: About this I don't know
1: it was, it was
3: dark but it must have been him
5: has anybody seen you since he left you
3: I heard some people in that room but I went by and nobody saw him.
5: mrs. Lauren is dead But how? Lauren said she committed suicide but I think somebody killed her
1: him
6: Sure you've come to the same conclusion I have yeah I think so well, let's all have a meeting discuss what to do
5: the living room okay in a minute I gotta go downstairs now you lock yourself in here and don't let anybody know you're here thinks you're dead, he won't come here, and I'll get back as soon as I can. You'll be all right. If you have to, you use it.
2: So greedy, so cold. (laughs) What are you doing in here? Wait, don't wait. What do you mean, coming in here?
1: Uh, I can't want them to take her away.
7: You're drunk.
2: They will if you don't watch her. You're drunk. Uh, All right, out with it, Bridget. Why did you come into this room? I'm the only one who understands. Understands what? Uh, Your wife isn't there anymore. She's already joined them. Now, Pritchett, I've had enough of your spook talk. Get out, you sot, and don't come back into this room again.
1: her name Nora
6: I didn't disturb her since I don't think this concerns her no you're right Mr. Lauren
1: isn't there some way we can get out of this house now no none at all we could try breaking out the only door to the outside is made of steel the bars of the windows are set in solid stone we gotta stay I'm
6: not afraid of your ghosts, Bridget. But I am afraid. When we came here a few hours ago, the only thing we had in common was the $10,000 we'd get. Now, however, we share something else. The death of Mrs. Lauren. So far tonight, one of us was almost killed by a falling chandelier. One of us was mysteriously slugged. One of us has been driven to the brink of absolute hysteria, and one of us is dead. Were these accidents? Suicide? And we must stay here for six more
1: hours. Six hours? Six of us. Time enough. A... Who will be next?
2: How will it happen? Let me ask you a question, Doctor. You were the first one to see my wife there. Did you also see anything that she could have climbed up on and then jumped? No. Did any of you? There was nothing. How then did she get up there so high?
6: Exactly, Mr. Lauren, how? She couldn't have pulled herself up there. She couldn't have dropped from the ceiling. Do you think your wife killed herself?
2: No. She was murdered... by one of you.
6: Or you, Mr. Lauren. To deliberately kill someone, you must have a
2: reason. We were all strangers to your wife. Only you had a motive for murder. What husband hasn't at some time wanted to kill his wife? What husband hasn't had a thousand opportunities... to do it in such a way so that he'd never be suspected? I'm not such a fool as to hang my wife from a ceiling by a rope. The fact remains that you, or one of us, murdered Mrs. Lauren. And that's a matter
6: for the police. So how do we get the police? That's my point. We can't until morning. What began as a silly party given by an eccentric has now involved us all in murder.
5: For once, Pritchard may be right. If another murder's in the works, let's stop it now.
4: Another murder?
5: Why not? Maybe one of us saw too much. Why should even a millionaire
6: want to give each of us $10,000 to spend one night in a gloomy old house? To see some
2: ghosts, have a party? No. Have you finished trying me, doctor? And is the
5: verdict guilty of murder? Oh, this isn't getting us anywhere. Somebody killed Mrs. Lauren, we know that. One of us is guilty and the rest of us are innocent. Okay. Now, what we have to do for the next six hours is protect ourselves from each other.
4: Do you really think?
5: I don't think anything. I just know that I'm going to my room. And if anybody comes in, I'll shoot him. Or her. And if we all stay in our rooms, we'll be safe.
6: Because the innocent will have no reason to leave his room. And the guilty will admit his guilt if he or she does. And we all have guns. And we'll all agree.
4: Oh, I wish this night were over.
1: Rooms? Guns? I tell you, it doesn't make any difference. They aren't through with us yet. What's the use of saying goodnight?
5: themselves in.
3: Lance, I've been thinking. It was so dark down there. Maybe it wasn't Mr. Lorne.
5: It was him, all right. He tried to kill you, and he did kill his wife.
3: How can you be so sure?
5: She tried to warn me, ask me to help her. The doc thinks he's going to try and kill one of us. Now, there must be a way out of this place, and I'm going to find it and get the police before he does.
3: I'm going with you.
5: What if he finds out you're alive safer here than any place else. Now just lock yourself in and keep quiet.
2: of guilt doctor
6: certainly not there's either somebody else in this house or one of us has left his room did you hear anything
2: organ music
6: that and someone walking
2: you got yours ready you look downstairs and i'll look up here why not together
6: there may be only minutes seconds left of someone's life Why waste time? over darling every detail was perfect
3: what's happening we've done it
6: a perfect crime beautiful
3: has she killed him
6: not yet she will
3: get me out of his hanging harness what's taking that girl so long what time is it
6: at first i couldn't get nora to want to protect herself with a gun But after you appeared at the window everything began to work just as we had planned you were wonderful just the touch that finally drove her into complete hysteria
3: it'll be worth all of our planning darling where's nora now what's happening
6: on the way to the cellar so scared she'll shoot the first thing that moves and frederick on his way to the cellar too
3: david are you sure none of them will suspect us
6: of what an hysterical girl accidentally shoots somebody who would suspect that we planned it that way that we drove her to it
3: what about my suicide
6: but just a ghost party gag we'll claim it was a dummy since i'm the only one who touched you
3: and the caretakers
6: well they had no idea what they were really doing
3: What about Nora? She's not stupid, you know.
6: Darling, believe me, everything we planned is working perfectly. Nora is sure Frederick murdered you. She thinks Frederick attacked her in the cellar, not me. And now Nora's almost out of her mind with fear. The heads, the music you're hanging, I tell you, when Frederick walks in there, she'll shoot him.
3: It's taking too long. David, you ought to be there.
6: When you hear the shot, come down to the cellar.
3: David?
2: It's indeed perfect. Only the victim is alive and the murderers are not. It's a pity you didn't know when you started your game of murder that I was playing too.
3: There must be some way to get in here.
1: Oh, it's right along here. somewhat. Uh, uh. Matt! I've shot Mr. Lorne, he's down in the wine cellar. Alive? I don't think so.
3: It's him, he's alive.
2: You didn't shoot anyone, my dear. I loaded your gun with blanks. I can tell you all now... Trent and my wife were planning to kill me. They failed. Trent tried to throw me in the vat. My wife stumbled and fell. I'm ready for justice to decide if I'm innocent or guilty.
1: are nine. There'll be more, many more. They're coming for me now. And then they'll come for you.
0: back to frightening tales i'm justin my co-host tommy here has finally finished picking up all his stuff from his nice flamethrower demonstration it's been a fun night wouldn't you say tommy oh yeah and this turkey's pretty good too of course you're still eating on that turkey so i hope you enjoyed my review of cocaine bear go out and see cocaine bear you want to go escape from this world it's great to not have to pay attention to politics or local news at the time So Cocaine Bear is a great escape for that. I hope you picked up a lot of the history on the flamethrower because that was fun. And even Tommy's demonstrations were great. Did we catch anything on fire? Nope, I did pretty good this time. And of course we had our top 10 favorite flamethrower scenes from horror movies and our horror moments of the week. I hope you tune into us next week on Frightening Tales. We'll see you then.